You are listening to the Baseball in the Burrows podcast, where myself, Tyler Smith, and Noah Broderick talk about baseball with a pretty bad microphone. Time to listen to a 20-second GarageBand clip to make the transition into the episode a little less awkward. Welcome back, everybody, to the Baseball in the Burrows podcast. This is episode five of season two. Recording this episode mainly because Trevor Bauer has signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers after a long, drawn-out process. We'll get to that later. First of all, I'm joined by my co-host, Noah. How you doing today, Doug? I'm uh, just looking forward to getting back to campus, man. I feel like I'm getting a little bit sick of just sitting around a lot of the time doing the same things every day. I'm just kind of ready for – I'm sick of this weather, dude. Um, like, just want it to be warm again. And Luckily, we got spring training coming up soon. I think everybody uh, after the Super Bowl is kind of digested from football and they're ready for some baseball. I think I am too. Last year, I admittedly didn't even get that into the season. You know, We were watching the playoff games, but like the regular season just didn't have the same feel. But I think with fans back in parks, granted, it's probably going to be like 25 to 30% capacity to start the season. But with fans back in parks, it's going to feel a little bit more normal. Just, just feel like a normal Mets season. game. So. Yeah. <laughs> or Tampa Bay Rays game. Exactly. That, I, think, I, think you're, I think you're playing it up for Tampa Bay. But, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Obviously, you know my situation right now. I'm going to be home uh, working on my back for a while and, you know, trying to get better in that sense. But speaking about the weather today, I was driving going, like I said, we're going to get breakfast this morning. Well, I'm calling it breakfast because I had breakfast food, but I woke up at 12 o'clock, so it's lunch. But are you I was, still going to bed at like 4 a.m.? Uh, yeah, I, I can't break out of that. But the new the new medicine I'm getting for my back is supposed to make me drowsy, so hopefully I can start popping that and waking up at normal times. But I was driving down the road, and this is going back to your point on weather. I don't know if you've ever had any situations like this, but like, have you ever had a situation in the car that's been altered by the weather, like rain, snow, any of that? Have you hydroplaned or anything? I've never had any accident or yeah. type of thing in the car. And it's a, such a jinx right now. I'm knocking wood. Yeah, but- neither have I knock on wood, but I, I was driving today and the windshields were kind of like, I, I thought it was just like condensation, precipitation, whatever the hell it is. So I tried to wipe them off with the windshield wipers and I was good. And then I got like a quarter of the way down Catch Road right here and I literally couldn't see anything. So thankfully there was a stop at the, the retirement home on the left. So I pulled and I texted Nardi, uh, for those who don't know, Nardi, one of our friends uh, that I was going to get lunch with. And we pull over. I had to like completely ice off or get the ice off the windshields, and I was okay. Then I get on West Hanover. Do you know what West Hanover is? Yeah, it's yeah, that main yeah. road. So West Hanover's road, people kind of drive crazily on, and my car iced up again. And I was driving on West Hanover, practically completely blind, just looking out the smallest part of the windshield. And I was so scared. Like there was a car behind me, so I was like kind of swerving because I couldn't see shit. So I had to pull back over. Nardi's waiting. He's like 10, I'm 10, 15 minutes late to Nardi. He was starving, and eventually I ended up cleaning off the rest of my windshields and got there safely. But uh. A big start to my morning. I think it's like the most exciting thing that's happened to me this entire break, considering I've been inside all day. But uh, as soon as you brought up weather and stuff, that's kind of just, you know, what I thought about. But besides that, I'm safe and I'm ready to record another episode of the podcast. You ever had like an accident or gotten pulled over? Have you no. any kind of nothing? No, for I think a lot of people who know me personally probably think based on my personality and like, I'm kind of, I'm not wild, but like I'm like energetic, I'm loud, all this shit. I, I think people would assume that I'm a crazy driver and I'd speed, but like. I'm not, like, afraid of speeding or getting pulled over, but I think we talk about this on Saturday night. I'm not desperate to get anywhere normally. Mm-hmm. And normally if I run late, I'm late enough to where speeding's not going to help. So I've never really found the need to speed. So I don't plan on getting pulled over anytime soon, but eventually it's going to happen, I think, just, you know, by the amount of times we're driving. But, uh, yeah, I'm a pretty safe driver. What about you? Facts. Yeah, no, I've never had anything. I mean, I'm definitely faster. I'm, like, I've put about 35,000 miles on my car in the last two years, just going call Walter Morristown every single day. Um, but I'm always like, I'm the guy in the left lane who goes like 80, you know, 85, 87, whatever. But if I sense that there could be a cop in the area, if I'm like clearly the fastest guy in the left lane, I'll move over one lane, right. kind of blend into traffic just to kind of cover myself. 
but um, I'm just used to driving, man. That's all. That's all I do. It's what I do for money and stuff too. So I miss that at school, but I'm kind of getting sick of it. Yeah. Speaking of driving and speaking of baseball, being out in LA is going to be Trevor Bauer, who I think when he went into free agency, as soon as things started to boil down, we figured that with his personality and the way he goes, he was going to either be in one of the biggest markets, most likely New York, LA are the two of them. And those are the two teams that ended up, you know, being his main suitors. The angels were in for a little bit, but before the whole Mickey Calloway situation happened, Trevor Bauer and Mickey Calloway had that previous relationship that was kind of, you know, broken beyond repair in Cleveland when he was their pitching coach and Bauer was still pitching there. So it seemed like Cleveland wasn't ever going to really be a major player. And it didn't seem like they were going to spend that much money. So last week it boiled down to the Mets and the Dodgers and there was increasing optimism. Sure, you don't know everything, but there was increasing optimism that the Mets were going to land him. They offered more money in the grand by, scheme of things. By uh, optimism, do you mean Bob Nightingale? Bob Nightingale. Uh, yeah, there were there were some of the the Mets writers for you know some journals and papers in New York were saying that the Mets were growing increasingly optimistic. And then all of a sudden, Bob Nightingale has his classic like Bauer deal with hashtag Mets done. Period. And everybody's going crazy, but no one else tweeted it. Normally, it's Nightingale tweets it, and then in the next five minutes, you'll get Heyman, Jeff Passan, you know, Rosenthal's washed, but typically he'd be in that mix. He is. We should talk about that. We, we, I think we'll do that at the end of the episode because we don't have a ton to talk about. But anyway, none of those guys tweeted it. And then I think it might have been um, – I forget the guy's name now. It was Matt or Mark something, Feinlin, I don't know. But Mark Feinstein. Mark, it was one of those guys. He said that there wasn't any deal, and then someone else said there was no deal. And at that point, I started to – I, at that time, I remember I texted you. I don't. I think you were working or something. I was like, the Mets are going to get Bauer. It seems like that's what's happening. Bauer's going to wait to put up his YouTube video like we knew he would. And even after the Nightingale tweet, I figured, oh, there's you know still some things to be worked out on the contract. And then all of a sudden, the next morning, Bauer's website leaks with him selling shirts with like him sitting on the home run apple in center field at City Field. And he signed a, in his email receipt. He was selling a signed Mets hat. It said, I can't wait to get on the mound, LFGM, all this stuff. And it was so suspicious. I said to you, I was like, dude, I think he's trolling at this point. And then all the Mets propaganda was taken down. Then he started selling a Dodgers hat on the website, then an Angels hat on his website. And it was either one, he's still trolling, or two, it was a mistake. Then eventually he released a video at 2 o'clock shortly after it was reported that the Dodgers signed him. And right now he's pending a physical, but the moral of the story is he's going to be a Los Angeles Dodgers making $40 million this year, $45 million in 2022 and i think the rest would be 17 million a grand total of three years 102 million dollars which we'll talk about it right now is a lot for a guy like trevor bauer it's a lot but it's also a short-term deal so right. i kind of understand with it. opt-outs after the first and second year not to interrupt you i don't, I don't think he's gonna opt out though do you think he'll opt out of 40 45 maybe the second year with the 17 million he'll, he's never gonna years, make but... more money if, if he has a jacob de grom you know 170 era year this year he's still not gonna top 40 45 million dollars it's just that's the most money people will make this year now the only argument would be he could get like a five to seven year deal right of, of more of money yeah. right um that's probably what he's banking on I don't think he's a top five guy, and he was a top five guy last year, but I also do think he's probably a top 10 to 12 guy. Right. Um, and, you know, if, you, if you're a top to 12, 10 to 12 guy, you're an ace in the sport. So I understand why the Dodgers did it. This is their window. They just won last year. They're probably going to be motivated to win again because, you know, last year was a COVID season. They couldn't do it in the Dodger Stadium in front of their fans. And 
granted, it still felt the same. You know, they won the World Series. They were the best team. But I think they'd probably like to have a full 162-game season and then win it like that again. Especially considering their past, you know, playoff troubles. You know, getting yeah. to the big games or, you know, even falling in previous series. So you're definitely right on that front. Like, I didn't think that they were going to sit back and be like, all right, we won the World Series. We're good. You know, we'll let the Padres take the division this year. I didn't think they were going to sit back and do that. And they saw the Padres add Darvish and they add Blake Snell and, you know, all the moves that they've been able to make over these past few years and how much better that roster's got. They probably felt like we have the same team as last year. Justin Turner's still a free agent. We're not guaranteed to re-sign him. We couldn't get LeMahieu they had interest in and um, whoever else they had interest in on the market. So why not go get the best pitcher out there? And right. that's what they did. So now they've got Bueller, Bauer, Kershaw, and then a bunch of those kids. It's a really good rotation. Yeah. They're going to – I mean, they're not going – they weren't going anywhere. If they didn't sign Trevor Bauer and they kind of just made these smaller minor moves, they'd still probably be the best team in baseball – and all of a sudden, they signed Trevor Bauer, who, you know, whether you love him or you hate him, you got to acknowledge the fact that his career is trending upwards. He's been like the, you know, a fringe three RA guy for a while. But obviously, you know, how much he buys into the game and interacting with the fans and analytics, uh, you got to imagine he's going to be able to perform at a pretty high level. And the decision for him, again, I've said this before, I said this last week, I think if this was George Springer and he kind of blue balled the Mets, whether it was accidental or not, you know, I would still be crying and I would probably wouldn't be recording this podcast. I'd be in therapy, but it's Trevor Bauer. Uh, the Mets have more money to spend and they can, you know, fill in the holes they still have with all the $40 million they were going to potentially spend on Bauer this year. But the bottom line was Trevor Bauer wanted to go back home. I think he's from Los Angeles area in California. And you have to realize how good LA is, LA is for his brand. And um, New York would have been good, but there's the hometown factor. And there's also the idea that he, I think someone reported that he really bought into the Dodgers and their use of analytics and, you know, their scouting department, all this stuff. So, yeah, the bottom line is, like I said before, whether you like it or not, Trevor Bauer's going to Los Angeles and they're going to be that much better. Um, How come you would have been upset if Springer did that, but you're not upset that Bauer did it? Did you really want Springer? I just really it's – it's, it's, it's not like – this isn't – I'm not bringing this down from a baseball standpoint. It's just – You like Springer. Yeah, I just really like Springer. Yeah. And um, for me, it was – Springer is one of those guys that I think after Springer, you're not going to – granted, the Mets did trade for Lindor, but it was Springer, and then the next best, best offensive piece on the market was JT Ramuto, who we knew we weren't going to sign after James McCann. So I figured you get George Springer, you're going to get that much better in center field, and your offense is going to get that much better for cheaper also, whereas Bauer was more expensive. He's not as good of a player as George Springer, and you could still use Springer's money to get a starting pitcher of, if you're talking straight career-wise, a guy like Jake Odorizzi is a very comparable career. Granted, Trevor Bauer is going to be better than Jake Odorizzi in this season, you have to imagine. But um, with the $40 million, we also have that money to spend. But uh, besides that, it's just a little biased thing. Um, what, yeah, what, but now – Sorry. Yeah, no, you go for it. I was just going to say, what the $40 million the Mets have? Or do you think they're going to spend all that $40 million this offseason still? They're going to save a lot of it for midseason acquisitions? Yeah. That's a very good point. And I don't think this is just – Trevor Bauer was going to get $40 million, so we have $40 million in liquid cash to give to whoever. I don't think it's going to work like that, but I think it certainly shows you know, the idea that the Mets aren't afraid to, one, go over the luxury tax or, two, spend money to fill needs. The fact that they're offering a $40 million contract is unheard of, especially for a guy like Trevor Bauer. Imagine what happens when you know the next time there's like proper stars or superstars on the market. I think it's just good for that end, but... Um, also, they've signed Jonathan VR, and um, of course, they signed someone else that Those I forget. Reliever. It was a Luke? center fielder. It was Alberto Mora Jr. All oh, right, yeah. And yeah. neither of these guys are making, you know, these aren't $10, 20000000 million players uh, each season. But um, 
it's just going to show you they're trying to plug in holes and they traded Steven Matz and they're kind of replacing his salary with these two guys. These are good bench pieces to have uh, good defensive replacements, but they're professionals. That's, yeah. I think that's something the Mets have missed a little bit over these years too. Don't you feel like you've had a lot of those kind of triple A guys you bring up and they end up playing, you know, getting significant at bats and making significant playing time with a guy like Cano pulls his hamstring twice the last few years. You know, like Luis Guillorme and those guys. Yeah, the Lowry injuries yeah. you've dealt with. Like getting some professionals in there is going to help too because you know those guys aren't going to be necessarily plus players, but there's a world where VR and Almora put up 100 win runs, create a plus. And, and every playoff team or like, aspiring playoff team has those guys. You know, yeah. it's, it's very hard to – not only make the playoffs, but make a successful playoff run with, you know, a roster of 25 kids. Like, look at the Red Sox in 18. They had they brought in Kinsler and Steve Pierce, you know, yeah. midseason to kind of solidify those teams. Now, granted, they had Betts, they had Devers, they had Bogarts, they had J.D. Martinez. Chris Sale, David, like all those guys. Yeah, they had all the stars, and then the Mets are going to have their stars too. But they also had these kind of lower-end players who could hit 7-8 in the lineup. You know, Eduardo Nunez too, where they had certain skills. Like VR, for example, is going to be a speed. Like I think that's something, something the Mets have really also lacked for a long time. Is yeah. just you know serious base running threats. So he's a switch hitter. Like right. he'll be able to hit some home runs. He's not you know a great offensive player by right. any means, but he's league average. He's adequate, and I think having that that's that's smart. Um, you brought up Odorizzi. Why would you sign? I would go for Paxton. It's there. They, there's Odorizzi. already there's minimal to no interest with Odorizzi anymore. It's just he's the top name. It's pretty much on the market. Tanaka's gone. Odorizzi is seemingly not to go with, uh, go to the Mets. Paxton is a, it's a good it's a good idea because you could get him cheap not not necessarily cheap but on a one two year deal a kind of prove me deal just because he struggled with injury and you know he's had his ups and downs with the Yankees the past few years but uh, especially you get a lefty in there you have David Peterson there right now where um, as soon as Syndergaard comes back and all of a sudden if you sign a pitcher that that could be a rotation of four to five right handers so all of a sudden you throw in James Paxton to kind of balance out uh, the pitching staff and I think that could be a good move especially like I said it's it'll be a pretty cost effective move. Worst case scenario, he's not good enough, and you have these options, like I said, with David Peterson and guys who are, you know, fringe AAA MLB starters. And um, they've even acquired some depth, like Jordan Yamamoto from the Marlins. Uh, again, not to say he's a game-changing move, but they've certainly built depth that they haven't had in previous years. I know we joke about guys all the time. I'm not going to throw out those names. But right now, I would say that Paxson is probably the target because Jake Arrieta's name has been thrown around, but I think Jake Arrieta's washed. I don't think he's nah, really nah. been the same guy in years. He's nah. a bit of a head case. He said he wanted to crack Todd Frazier's skull that, a couple years a, ago. That's a Wolpon move. That, everyone was saying it that I've heard, and I agree. I don't want to go anywhere near Jake Arietta, but James Paxson is certainly a guy. And then they've also talked about potentially addressing the third base side of things, and Justin Turner's been the guy they've been talking to. Could you imagine what Justin Turner would look like in a Mets uniform? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Yeah, so far they're they're – they haven't matched on years and money, but uh, it's a guy they've definitely taken interest in. So uh, I think it goes to show that, you know, the Mets offseason isn't done. But uh, what are your thoughts on the James Paxson move? Why do you think that's a better fit for the Mets than, you know, an Odorizzi or one of those guys? Because I think he brings an upside that Odorizzi doesn't. For me with the Mets now, I think you have enough professionals. Your offense is going to slug their way to 90 wins. Bullpen should be good enough. You've got DeGrom leading the rotation. I think you should kind of put your chips in the basket of, Let's get as many high upside guys for October similar what the Yankees did with Kluber and Tyone. I think that with Paxton, if he's healthy and he's throwing 96 miles an hour again and he's got that cut cutting, you know, curveball slurve type pitch. I don't even know what it's called. It's like moves yeah. in three different directions. But he's got good secondary stuff. And when he's healthy, his fastball's really good. If you bring him in and he can give you 25 starts, I mean, I'm not saying he's gonna be able to do that. He hasn't really been able to do that, but if he can give you 25 starts, you'll 100 percent take that. Or you'll take him giving you, you know, uh, whatever X amount of starts he gives you, but 
seven or eight of them are really high quality right. or, you know, he, or they're all towards the end of the season. I remember in 2019 with the Yankees, he had a three start stretch in the beginning of the season where he was like seven innings, one or two runs, sometimes zero runs, one walk, 12 strikeouts. And you're like, this guy's awesome. And then he would kind of be inconsistent towards the middle of the year, battled some injuries. But then in August, he went on this run where I think he had like nine starts in a row. He didn't lose. I think he was like seven and oh, two no decisions, ERA in the twos, and, you know, 10, 12 strikeouts per nine, something around there. And when you have that going into October, he ended up starting game one for us against the uh, Minnesota Twins. Now, he, w- he didn't have a great postseason. He had a very, very good game five against the Astros to prolong that series in the American League Championship Series. But, you know, he's a guy who's capable of shutting down really good lineups. Look at a team like the Dodgers. They've got a lot of left-hand bats like a Seager, Bellinger, Gavin Lux, if he can make an impact for them too. Um, You know, the Nationals in the division with Soto, like, you you know, Harper with the Phillies. You kind of look at, like, the teams, okay, these are the teams we're going to have to beat. Uh, If they they got the Brewers in a playoff series, you know, Yelich, you can go on down the line. Having a lefty starter in there with all those righties, because your top three starters or top four starters – projected around playoff time are going to be righties. You're going to have DeGrom, Carrasco, Syndergaard, Stroman, whatever order that you want to put them in. Uh, Paxton is a lefty, kind of throwing him into that mix. I think kind of, I don't want to say lengthens the rotation, but it kind of just gives you guys a little bit different of a look. It could change the arm angles in between games because like, you know, if you stack all these right-handed power arms together, you're going to kind of get used to the release point. I remember they talked about this in the Rays-Yankees playoff series too, where you kind of start seeing the same release points. That's why Tampa would follow Diego Castillo, throw 98 with Ryan Yarbrough, you know, right. soft, you know, soft-tossing left-hander. You bring in a lefty, you can kind of change the arm angles, kind of makes the teams change their lineups up a little bit, maybe play matchups. I think that's something the Mets could use to their advantage. I think Odorizzi is a little bit more of what the Mets already have. Now, granted, he'd be a little bit safer. So, I mean, if the Mets want to go the safer route, then that makes more sense. But I feel like if I'm a team that wants to win a World Series, I'd almost rather bank on upside because I'm confident that the guys I have on my roster already are going to be able to get me to the postseason. Right, and you made a great point right there before we move on. You said Jake Odorizzi is more of a safe, you know, it would be a safe move to make. And I think, like you said previously, they have enough arms and they have enough players to where they have that star power, so to speak. They have those guys that are going to guarantee, are going to, guarantee to do it. Whereas you look at a team like the Yankees are doing the same thing, and it's you kind of kind of start to buy into that idea that you could start going for these upside guys because you know the the beginning half of that lineup, the beginning half of that starting rotation is going to be able to carry its end of the weight. And if you can throw in those high upside guys like you said, Kluber and Tyone, if they can, if one of those guys clicked, you said last episode, you're you know you're already setting yourself up for a bunch of success in the postseason. But I only talk about the Mets just because before we were talking about with Bauer, it was one of those two teams and. Bauer, I don't think he was going to, you know, swing the course of the National League. I think regardless, the Dodgers are still going to be the best team. If the Mets did land Bauer, I think they'd have a clear argument to be the second best team in the National League. As it stands right now, the Dodgers are still the favorite in the National League. And then I'd still give it to the Braves right now, although they have a little bit of starting pitching issues. They just brought back Marcelo Zuna. We could talk about a little bit later. And then you kind of have those teams, the, um, the Padres, the Mets, that are all sprinkled in there. But, yeah, bottom line, Trevor Bauer is going to the Los Angeles Dodgers on a three-year, $102 million contract. So the next topic we want to cover kind of came out of nowhere uh, about a week, maybe a couple weeks ago. Nolan Arenado, superstar third baseman from Colorado, was dealt to the St. Louis Cardinals. Noah, you got the names up. Why don't you tell us who was traded? Because we don't know who the hell these guys uh, are. I actually just clicked off the page. Want to make up? Want to make up four names then? Uh, well, one of them was Austin Gomber. I know that was part of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real name. Uh, 
It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. matter really. Four prospects. Five prospects. Five prospects for Arenado. Let's dive into the big part of this. That's the Cardinals are actually trying to win the division, unlike the other four teams in the division. So I guess you give them credit for that. Um, that's a great baseball town. It's a great franchise. A lot of tradition. That team's always competitive. Um, you know how there's like there's probably like seven or eight teams in professional sports, at least the four major ones that are just always competitive. Yeah. And the Cardinals are one of them. In baseball, I think there's you know the Yankees are there too, and you go to football in New England usually, but the Cardinals are up there with those types of franchises, and they haven't won the World Series since 2011, which is kind of a drought for them. I mean, not not too big of a drought, but um, it's it's going on ten years, similar to what the Yankees have dealt with, and I think they definitely want to try to do something to put their team over the top. They did that with Marcelo Zuna a couple years ago. It didn't quite work out. They did get to a National League Championship Series, but lost to the Nationals. I think they all got swept in 2019. Yep. Uh, yeah, four games. And the one thing I remember from that series is that the Cardinals' offense was terrible. And besides Goldschmidt, they didn't really have another game-breaker. And that's kind of been the story of that team uh, in recent memory. And I think Arenado is a game-breaker. He's instantly their best player. Goldschmidt's great. But I think, you know, Arenado at the hot corner. I mean, talk about a corner infield tandem with him and Goldschmidt those are two guys who could be you know are you know definitely going to be on Hall of Fame ballots in you know whatever 10 years but um I just I'm struggling to talk myself into like the Cardinals being a really good team still like I think they're going to be good but yeah. we you, we were talking about their rotation uh off air and it's pretty much the same rotation that they've had it's a good rotation but you know Carlos Martinez is still in there and Adam Wainwright Michaelis, obviously, besides Jack Flaherty, there's just not a ton of upside with it. Their bullpen's pretty good. You know, I like Mike Schilt. He does a good job. Their offense beyond Goldschmidt and Arenado isn't great, but they've got, you know, Tommy Edmond, for example, and they've got, you know, Tyler O'Neill and Mets killer know. Paul DeYoung. Yeah, Paul DeYoung. Like they've got, like, they've got solid players and they've got, you know, mostly, you know, above average or, you know, slightly above average players. With uh, the superstar now being Arenado of that team, I think it makes sense for Arenado. It's a place where he can go. He's kind of a low-key guy who loves baseball, and that really fits the city there. Right. I don't think that's too tough of a media or a market for him to handle. Um, but it's a team that expects to win, a proud franchise with tradition, and I think that's something that he wants to be a part of. He's obviously a huge baseball head. There's just certain guys who play Major League Baseball who aren't you know, like historians of the game, but Arenado's going to be one of those guys who's probably going to be doing breakdowns and it will be network in 15 years, right. like, you know, breaking down the hot corner and everything like that. And I, I think St. Louis makes a lot of sense for him personality wise. And I like the team, you know, I, I, I think two weeks ago on this podcast, Oh, we were destroying them in the, these exact same seats. We were destroying the division and the Cardinals. Yeah. Like I, I didn't hate the team back then. I just thought they're boring. Now I don't like, I like, I thought the team was decent back then. thought they're boring. Now I think that they're watchable or not. I'll make them watchable. You know, if they're on TV, I'll check them out. Um, and they should win, you know, in that division, they, there's no reason for them not to win 88 games, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So, uh, I think it's a good move. If there's any Cardinals fans listening to this who are upset about our coverage of your team, I apologize. Just, uh, just shout us, you know, say yeah. something in our DMs and we'll, we'll make sure we study it up for you. But the Cardinals should be good. That being said, I don't see them as a the top three team in the NL. Like, definitely, I, yeah, definitely not. And I think it just goes back to, this is the same core of players they've had for so long. I mean, if you look back five and even 10 years ago some of these guys you'll probably see you know five or six of the same names you still have they brought adam wayne right back yadier molina's back um you have all these guys matt carpenter's been there for you know god knows how they're long. the better version of the san francisco giants yeah it's very true the same the giants do i mean you have like brandon crawford, crawford brandon Rosie belt was belt. there for yeah. years yeah panic was there for a right. long time Bumgarner. they finally started to break it up yeah. and then like uh, you know maybe they'll take the cardinals a couple bad years 
Arenado's way better than Longoria was and McCutcheon was, but doesn't this kind of remind you of when the Giants brought in those two guys in that offseason, I think three years ago? And yeah, like, like they still they didn't become a contender, obviously, but they brought in, you know, decent players. I think, like you said, Arenado's probably a, definitely a top five third baseman in the sport. He's such a dynamic player, best glove in the sport, potentially. Um, last year wasn't great offensively, but it was a weird season. Again, no, you guys who listen know that no and I aren't really looking into the 2020 seasons for certain players that struggle. It's, you know, could be up to a million different factors, but I think it makes a team a lot of fun, honestly, just because even if you people don't really watch baseball to watch a specific player, baseball's really dedicated or is baseball has a target audience of dedicated fans. The casuals aren't watching baseball really, but I think for people like us, it's just, we don't have to watch the Colorado Rockies despite having some of those big players they've had previously. Um, now with the Cardinals, you all of a sudden watch Nolan Arenado in a city that's really passionate about baseball, good fans, a beautiful ballpark, a historic franchise that's won all the time. So you get to watch Nolan Arenado there, but you also get to watch Paul Goldschmidt, who's a guy that's kind of been slept on for a while. I mean, you know, he's played he played in Arizona prior to this, and, you know, no one gave a crap about the Diamondbacks. They were never good. And he had a great year last year. Again, statistics don't aren't a huge thing, but he's also one of the best players in the sport. And I think now, you know, the two of them are should be set up for success. It's just the rest of the team is kind of bland to me, but at the same time, in that division, I don't know who's going to contend with them, especially with the Cubs kind of blowing it up. They've – you know, lost a lot of their core pieces. It doesn't seem like um, it doesn't seem like the Reds have done much or the Pirates. I mean, even the Reds have been in talks of, you know, granted they're preliminary talks, but there have been talks around Sonny Gray, uh, Eugenio Suarez, and um, Luis Castillo, obviously. Mm-hmm. Whether they deal with those guys is to be determined. But I think with this move, as weird as it sounds, you know, teams don't make one move and all of a sudden become the consensus favorites in the division. But I think with this move, the Cardinals, you know, have to be feeling pretty comfortable with the NL Central. If you have any other thoughts. I, I think the Cardinals and Brewers will be – good teams like I think the Brewers would be above 500 it's, yeah. I, I like the two guys at the top of the rotation I think they have enough kids in the back end of it to eat enough innings and maybe one of them has a big year I like the lineup uh, they brought in Colton Wong from the Cardinals he's a good player one of the players on the Cardinals I did like and um you know they've got Hura and they've got Lorenzo Cain coming back they've got a lot of you know solid players and then Yelich obviously the two-time is he two-time is he MVP twice or once just once uh, okay yeah. Ballinger won the other year yeah yeah got it. okay I'd forgotten that but, um, you know, they've got an MVP and a top five player in the sport on their team still. So I think the Brewers will be solid. I don't like the Cubs. I don't like the Reds. And the Pirates might not win 60 games even. So yeah. not really worth talking about them. Um, I want to talk about the Rockies for a second. Jeff Breidich said it wasn't a full down, full teardown. How is it not a teardown? Like you lose your two best players in the span of three years. It's not. Yeah, like you can't really call it a full. Not call it a full teardown because well, they've got Blackman and Story there. But Blackman, he's a little washed. He he had a good year last year, yeah. and he's a good player. But like, I don't know. You're not gonna build a team around Charlie Blackman, and then Trevor Story is a free agent after this year, and I've heard nothing about there's, him getting extended. There's no, I mean, I don't know why he'd want to stay. A guy who's. I remember when he came up in 2016, he was all the hype. He hit like, you know seven home runs in his first eight games. And, you know, the world is Trevor Stories, and since then, you know, he regressed a little bit the following season, but now he's, you know, consensus one of the three best shortstops in baseball. He's a great player. And I can't imagine with the culture, you know, you don't bring back D.J. LeMahieu a few years ago. You trade – I'm not going to say that you trade him for a bag of chips, but you trade Nolan Arenado for four prospects. You're not getting four of the 100 top prospects in a sport or anything like that. For a guy – Nolan Arenado, it's not like he was a free agent in a year. He, he has a – opt out after the 2022 season, but I think he intends on playing the final six, seven years of his contract. And if you're Trevor Story and you're in this position, you got to realize that if you get out of Colorado, you're going to get, you're going to attract some of the biggest names from some of the biggest teams in the sport. And I think if you're a Rockies fan, it sucks just because, you know, this is happening far too often. And you're just kind of blowing it up and letting your best players leave. And 
if I'm Trevor Story, I'm getting the hell out of there after – is it 2021 or after this season or after next season? This season. Is this it okay? free agent. Yeah, I just checked it. So, uh, I completely agree. I think Story needs to get to a contender because, in my opinion, he's like – I don't, do you want to call him underrated? Like, people know he's good, but I don't think people know he's like top 15 player in the sport good. I, I, I think it's kind of fair to say underrated just because in baseball, so many players are buried by their markets, mm-hmm. especially because the popularity of the sport – like. ESPN Sports Center, uh, Bleacher Report, they're not posting a Trevor Story diving player to home run, but these guys are playing yeah, in 162 but- games of playing for a shit team, but they're still playing and they're putting up big numbers. So. Like traditional stats, this guy's 290, 30 homers every year. Right. And then you start ligging into the At a position stuff. where you're not hitting, you know, guys aren't hitting 30, 40 home runs, like, and, you know, yeah, he's 110. He's the best the offensive shortstop in the right. sport. And he's a good defender too. Yeah. I mean, you can make the argument is right there with Lindor. I think I'd probably still take Lindor, but people have started to make that argument. I think he's right there with Tatis and Bogarts and all the other top shortstops in the game. And he's probably going to be looking at 200 million next year, given his age, if the market, you know, kind of corrects and a lot of these big market teams start wanting to spend again. I think he's definitely that caliber player. Um, I think he'll get dealt mid-season. They said they're not dealing him right now. They probably won't. They probably got to have somebody to sell the you know season tickets and stuff or whatever. Right. You know, try to try to market because Arenado is their guy. And I think they could sell Story as their franchise guy for a little bit too. I think it'd be tough look for them to deal both Arenado and Story in the span of a month before spring training starts. Right. Um, um, but he'll probably he's going to be a really hot mid-season candidate for a team that wants an upgrade. I'm going to say quickly, Glaber Torres needs to play well at shortstop this year. Because if he's struggling defensively and they have the ability to move LeMayu over, per se, and put Torres at second midseason to acquire a story, I think that's a move Cashman will make. Yeah. And uh, I'm intrigued by it, too. So. Yep. So the next guy I want to talk about, you know, we're not going to spend the next 10 minutes talking about him like he did with Arenado and the Rocky situation. Marcelo Zuna signed. Uh, funnily enough, I think this was right around the Bauer era. I was in the shower listening to music with my phone out in the uh, – I use like, do you ever use like a bootleg speaker? Like we have this yeah. like weird kind of bowl thing in our bathroom and I put my phone in there to project the music and I saw a Twitter notification and I, you know, I hadn't tweeted any fire like I normally do. So I figured no one was liking one of my tweets or retweeting one of my tweets. So it had to have been a notification. So like I like moved the steam off the shower door. I looked through and I saw the deal and I was going to text you after I got out of the shower, you know, don't be worried. And I saw that it was uh, Marcelo Zuna signed back with the Braves on a four-year deal at $65 million, which, you know, based on the year he had last year, you could think is kind of low. At the same time, he basically brings no defensive value. Uh, that's a move that you kind of figure he's going to help them slug their way to a division title, if not a wild card berth. And 2022 and beyond, if there's no DH this year, he'll slot perfectly into that DH role. But for a guy only making $16 million this year and beyond, it's I think it's a pretty good deal for the Braves. The Ribs, they still have the same names that they've had. You know, Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna, Travis Darno was great last year. Uh, Freddie Freeman, uh, MVP last year, if I'm not mistaken. Dansby Swanson was good last year. It's my my dad loves that guy. I remember yeah. he was talking about him last year when we watched games. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, obviously. So that's, you know, probably the best lineup in the National League, you know, up there with the Mets and, you know, some of these other players. The Dodgers are better. Than the Dodgers are the consensus number one, as they are with yeah, yeah. anything else in the sport. But, um, yeah, and you look at the the starting rotation now for the Braves. It's something that's concerning a little bit. You have Max Fried, who was good last year. They brought in Charlie Morton. Then you have Mike Soroka, Torres, Achilles, if I'm not mistaken, in a start last year, so he's not going to come back. And then after that, you, you know, you're you're a little bit sussed out at that rotation. You have Ian Anderson as a guy who made some starts last year. Drew Smiley, these guys. But right now, are you comfortable still calling the Braves a you know serious threat in the National League given their starting pitching concerns? Uh, I'm going to say yeah because last year I wasn't really comfortable with that i think i told you i didn't think they were gonna win the division at least they end up winning the division they're up 3-1 in the nlcs 
So I had to eat my words there. And I don't really want to bet against them again because they do have that core of players that you mentioned. Nozuna is a fantastic hitter. And uh, they've proven that they can win and slug their way in these regular season games with decent enough starting pitching. And, you know, they've improved the bullpen over the last few years. And when it comes down to it, they've been really good in division. I feel like they've played really well against the Mets whenever I'm watching Mets-Braves games. The Braves play really tough. They've come into City Field and played the Mets really tough. And same thing goes for them in Nationals Park. I feel like Acuna kind of matches at that place. And they're a good home team. And Snickers a great manager. They're just going to find a way to probably win 90 games like a lot of these other teams in the division. Yeah, I think the Mets, Braves, Nationals all could win 90 games with their teams that they have. And, uh, you know, that's that's tough for the Phillies fans listening to this and Marlins too. And those are good teams. But, right. you know, like that, those, that, I think those are three of the top five teams in the NL. And, I'm just uh, worried about that staff, man. It's just when you come up against yeah, not great. when you come up against some of these teams in the National League, you know, obviously you have the Dodgers stack rotation. They have, you know, four guys that could be, you know, you have Bueller, Kershaw. You said the kids you have. You have David Price. You have Bauer now, I obviously. Forgot I forgot about him too, and then I just said uh, it. But He's their fourth um, starter. Yeah, like, I mean, that's a good staff. You have the Mets. I know we talk about all the time. Um, you know, DeGrom, Stroman. You have Thor potentially coming back. Uh, all these names, Carrasco. And then even look at the Padres. Granted, they have uh, – Mike Clevenger's not going to pitch this year. You have Denilson Lamette. You have those guys. Chris Paddock. Snell. Snell. Brett, you have you Darvish. They've got Freed, Morton. The Brave staff, it's – Freed Morton and then Soroka Soroka's back. Is he is, is he even coming back, back though? Because torn Achilles is I think it's 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 he a tore year. Achilles last August. Yeah, that might be tougher. Yeah, so that, but then behind him you have Ian Anderson and Drew Smiley. So it's I don't like Smiley. I like Anderson. If they had Soroka, I'd be all in. The offense like is awesome. Guys, yeah, but... the offense is awesome, and I'm not like I like I'm not trying to. Listen, if a team's good in my division, I don't give a shit admitting it. And the Braves have a stacked team. If you look at their lineup one through nine. But even the teams in the division, I mean, you look at the Nationals, I don't think Corbin Scherzer, Strasburg are going anywhere. Like I said with the Mets, the Phillies don't really scare you after you have Wheeler and Nola out of there. But again, I think they could slug their way to 90 wins in a wild card berth at least. But as soon as you get in those playoff series where pitching really carries the weight, I think you're going to have serious trouble there. But going back to the Ozuna move, I think at that point, if it's between – they weren't going to give Bauer $40 million, even if it was for a couple of years – so at that point, you look at the market and it's, you know, do you want to give that money to Marcelo Zuna or Jake Odorizzi? Sure, Jake Odorizzi is going to help stabilize that rotation, but Marcelo Zuna was such a big part of their team last year. You give it to the impact guy. I don't right? think it's, you're right, exactly. I don't think it's a bad move by them. I think it's a good move, especially at the money they're giving him. He's going to slot into that DH role the next three years perfectly. But at the same time, I still think they have a pitching issue to address. And maybe that's something they'll, you know, try to fix up in the dead or at the trade deadline this off or during the season. I like the Morton move for them. He's pitching, you know, down south. He should be good. I um I like Freed a lot. They need a third guy, you're right though. Anderson's good. He was making what he pitched did he pitch game seven for them? He yeah, he he made big playoff like, starts. Yeah, like he I he was good. He he pitched against the Yankees at one point, I think August, and he shut us down. So there's times where I was impressed with him and he's obviously got a big arm, but They've had that kind of same group of young guys beyond them, like the Tuki Toussaint's of the world that haven't really panned out. I think they could use one more veteran, and uh, Morton was a good ad. If they could bring in Paxton, is there any talk of them doing that? I'm not sure, to be honest. I feel like Paxton's market has been weird. I haven't heard, yeah, like, I haven't heard anything about him. He hasn't him. been a guy you've talked about, but just going back to Ian Anderson real quick, pitched 18.2 innings in the postseason last year. Gave up two earned runs and struck out twenty four. So yeah, I mean, maybe the guy has it. For I remember he came out of nowhere. He's making huge starts against the Dodgers. He was all fired up. He's a top prospect. I right. know he's a top prospect. All right, so say the Braves have three legit guys, and they've got that offense. They've got a good bullpen. They've got a good manager. They know how to win. You still see them winning ninety games, yeah, right? No doubt. So uh, it's, at, at that at that point, you're. 
I, I feel like just the roster construction right now, the last thing I'll say is you get to the postseason, you're flipping a coin at that point. You yeah, know? they've got two MVP candidates right. and two guys, maybe three, who could start game ones in the postseason. And Will Smith's a good closer. And, you know, they've, they've always have some bullpen issues. But they've, they've got enough talent on that team where they're going to be dangerous. If you had the power rank Braves, Nats, Mets right now, what would you do? Current roster, season starts today. I want to go Mets one, Braves two, Nationals three, but I'm a you know how I operate. I'm a, I try to be a fair person just because the Braves are you know a game away from being the reigning National League champions and the reigning National League East champions. I'll go Braves one, Mets two, Nationals three. You're talking just roster construction right now. I'm more comfortable with the Mets just with that pitching staff. They already have a good, very good lineup, and they have a better rotation than the Braves as of right now. So if you're talking like just pure roster construction, I'd go Mets, Braves, Nationals, Phillies. Mm-hmm. Um, but just all the external factors with the Mets, you know, shit hits the fan all the time. You could always put the Braves up top. But um, I think the Nationals are three. But uh, like we said in the last podcast, they're not a three that means they're going to win 80, 85 games. They're a three that could also win 90 games. And we could have a situation without the expanded playoff format. You have three NLEs teams in the playoffs. So where, where would you go with the power rankings? I think I'd go – Braves, Mets, Nats right now, yeah. but the Mets have a higher upside. If they'd signed Bauer, I would have said Mets. I think if the Mets signed Turner, I might sign Mets because he's a professional and he's going to have a big season. He's also still just, productive. He, he's he's not, really productive. He's not a he's not a Todd Frazier professional where no, he's a good he's, clubhouse guy. He's a he's an effective. He's an actual effective. No, like he hit third guy. for the Dodgers. In yeah, the like he's like and, he's, he's he's good still. Yeah. So and you, you know Turner, Lindor, left side of the infield is like that. Those guys are winning players, and I like this those high pedigree type guys. Um, I texted you this earlier. Can give me one team that is not like if you ask the general consensus, mo- less than fifty percent of people will say this team's not going to be a playoff team that you could see being a playoff team. I was thinking about it. <laughs> like, I feel like I almost have to say the Angels just because they have okay. they just have Rendon and Trout. I think they traded for like Alex Cobb this offseason or something like that. They wow. signed Jose Quintana. Like, so they're, they're bringing the Orioles. They're just staff yeah, they're, they're just they're just putting together players. But I my. This is this there's no baseball reasoning behind it, but I feel like with Rendon and Trout, I feel like eventually they literally have to make the postseason. And I think it's gonna happen at some point. If it's the expanded playoff or not, they're gonna clone themselves. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun answer, but I'm just I'm gonna go with the Angels because at some point they have to fucking make it. So I'm gonna go with them. Who did you have? Because I, I didn't really admittedly I didn't do a ton of research into this. I, I didn't either. I don't think this I'm uh, I shouldn't say I think I don't think this team is a surefire playoff team. I think I'd give them a shot to make it because of a wild card spot. The Red Sox. I like that. That's a really good. I actually like that a lot. You like yeah. that? Yeah. I, it, it pains me to say it, and I don't think they're that good. But I was looking at their team, and I'm like, you look at their lineup. They've got Verdugo leading off, Bogarts, Devers, J.D. Martinez. Then they've, you know, the middle of the lineup, you know, Vasquez, Benintendi. They brought in Kike Hernandez. You, you love know. Benintendi. Yeah, I love him. He's awesome. Uh, Dahlbeck, the pro, their top prospect, is going to play a lot for them this year. And I'm like, their offense could be middle of the pack with Cora coming right. back as a manager. Like, they could be a middle of the pack offense. And they could, I forgot about that Cora's coming back. It's yeah. like an underrated storyline. Yeah, I know. The and suspension, he, he dips like, for a year and then he comes back. Devers is going to be better with yeah. Cora there. Like, you, you know, he should have a better year. Martinez should be better than he was last year. Plus, they're going to cheat again because Cora's coming back. So <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, their offensive numbers are bound to be inflated. <laughs> uh, but, you know, their their offense should be – their offense is good enough to have be an over 500 offense. Uh, you know, I think that – and if they're pitching can – they need like one or two guys who they're not expecting much from to be good. So they've got Sale coming back midseason, but they're going to start the year with Evaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, Garrett Richards, and like two kids, like Tanner Hawk, I think is one of them, and then another kid. If one of those kids is good or if Garrett Richards decides to go back to 2014 Garrett Richards for some reason – 
then you can really start talking yourself into it. But like all of their best players last year had bad years, basically, or down years for themselves. And I think that just by the law of averages, a couple of them are going to have better seasons. And if they get better pitching, you know, they brought in Adovino for the bullpen. I don't love Adovino, but they, he, he, he could be effective against righties. He can have a good half and help them win some games in the beginning of the year. They've still got Barnes. They've still got, you know, Darwinson Hernandez and, and Brazier. Like they've got enough players where I could see them being a 500 team. And maybe a couple things break right, and they're better than that. So I, I was going Red Sox for that one. All right. We're going to wrap up the episode. We haven't done this in a while just because, just given the circumstances and everything that's going on, we haven't really asked for questions in a long time. Um, my dad's been itching to ask questions, though. He's like, you got to tell me when you're recording your podcast so I, I can ask a question. And I actually texted him right when the episode started. I forgot to tell him we were recording. But he wants to know um, – let me pull up the question. It's whether there's an NL – DH or not, how many combined at-bats will Dom Smith and J.D. Davis have this year? They've been two of the Mets, you know, most clutch best hitters. Uh, J.D. Davis last year wasn't great. Dom Smith was phenomenal. 2019, J.D. Davis was great. And every time Dom Smith hit, he was awesome off the bench. So he wants to know how many at-bats they will have combined this year. And first of all, Noah and I discussed this off-air just because at-bats, it's not a thing that, you know, I've looked at all the time. It's, you know, kind of – I know who's getting the most at-bats when I just watch my team play. But I think this year, right now, it depends on two things. Justin Turner is a guy they've talked about. I think if they don't get Justin Turner, I think chances are J.D. Davis will probably play most of the third base this year. I can't imagine a situation where Jonathan VR or they'll rotate McNeil over there at Jonathan VR at second. I don't think that's going to happen. I think VR was acquired to be a bench piece. Um, I think J.D. Has, seems to have been um, valued a little less this year with Sandy Alderson coming in and taking over. Um, he's talked about something, how they want to improve the defense and they've done that. They've gotten these bench acquisitions like Albert Amora jr. And, um, and Jonathan VR, of course, they're talking to Justin Turner right now. They haven't reached an agreement yet and they still seem off on dollars and years. I think that if they sign Justin Turner, I think that really eliminates JD Davis's playing time a lot this year. I think he's a bench bat. And I think Don Smith is your left fielder. If they don't want to, sign a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr. if they want to just bring in uh, a late replacement with uh, Almora in center field. I think at that point, Dom Smith is getting upwards of, you know, three, 350, 400 at-bats if he's getting replaced late in games. But you know what you said this earlier. If they don't bring in Justin Turner and they kind of just go with that bad offense or bad defense for the first seven innings and then they throw in some replacements, I think there's a chance, you know, those guys combine for upwards of 800 at-bats. I mean, J.D. Davis – Probably don't have we don't have a better option there offensively right now, and he's whether he's good or not is a big part of that offense. And last year, Dom Smith was a huge part of our offense. Last year, Pete Alonso struggled immensely. Sure, he hit he was on pace at 40, 50 home runs in a regular season, but uh, his average numbers weren't there. And you throw Dom Smith out in left field. Granted, he's, he's going to figure it out to a certain degree. He's 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 not going to play defense for any team effectively unless he's at first base, which he's really good at. But I think you need those two bats if you want to really build up this offense as best as possible without a DH. So I think it depends on Turner. If Justin Turner doesn't sign and the Mets decide to run J.D. Davis there, I think both of those guys are going to play and they're going to get, you know, upwards of 700-800 at-bats combined. But if not, I think the majority of the at-bats go to Dom Smith and he's getting, you know, four or 500 at-bats. If you have anything to add, why don't you go for it? I figure yeah, I, I agree. just take it. I agree. I told you, I think they'll get at least 800. I kind of have a premise that your eight best hitters are just going to get their 400 to 500 at-bats. today's game especially also. Yeah, like your best guys are going to be out there. And we can script it all we want in spring training and say we want, you know, our best defensive alignment. We can kind of try to script the games now and make our depth charts and make our lineups and everything ideal and lefty-righty. Once shit hits the, it's the fan, like you said, in May, and it's a late May game, and you've had two guys go on the IL in the past 24 hours, and this guy, Pete's in a two-for-24 slump, 
you're going to have those guys in the middle of the order hitting three, four. And then if those guys produce, they're going to stay in the lineup. Right. Right. So, and those are easily two of your top, probably six hitters on the roster. And I think they're both going to get plenty of at bats. I think at least 800, you know, 400 between them. I mean, yeah. If you want to go to plate appearances too, that incorporates walks and all the other crap. But uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to get a fair share of playing time as long as they're on the team. Yep. And like I said before, just to wrap it up, um, it's a good point you bring up that injuries and all these things are going to happen. The Mets of all teams aren't going to go through a year where no one gets injured. It's just going to happen. They've built up good depth. But I think JD's has enough value to where as soon as one guy gets injured, he's going to step up and take his opportunities. I wanted to answer it more on just a you know a purely injury free perspective, just to kind of get those ideas in. But on that note, I think that's going to wrap up the episode unless you have anything else to talk about. You're heading back to school when? The 21st, you said? 20th, 20th or 21st. 20th. 20th. So we'll, it's, it's next weekend. We'll try to get an episode out next week in person before we start doing these remote episodes. Last year, we stuck through it, and we did them for the length of our off-season stuff um, before we got sent home and even during the pandemic. And those are some of our best episodes. We did some of our best work. We got a ton of views. So we're not too worried about that. Exactly. Yeah, it's been hard to line up guests, you know, just with everything going on with baseball and whatnot in our lives uh, with school and everything. But – um, we're going to get some guests in soon until then we love when you guys interact with us on Twitter. I'm at T Smith sports. Noah is at Noah Broderick 20. The pod is at B A T B pod. I started plugging this recently. We have an Instagram. I don't think any of us know what the Instagram's at is. It might be B-A-T-B at TV pod. It's at B A T B pod as well. Uh, it, yeah, it, the, the Instagram active. is it's half of a joking Instagram. We kind of just mess around and make bad Photoshop. No, it? I literally didn't I, even know people were texting in one of our friend group chats. They're like something about the post on baseball in the boroughs are like, Tyler liked, I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I, don't I was like, no, I literally d- I didn't even know that that was being made. But if you want to follow us in there, if you use Instagram, go for it. Until then, stay tuned for more episodes and updates on the podcast. And we hope to talk to you next week.